to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard, and you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, and if you're not happy with what you're doing it, to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast, a partner of MoshPitNation.com. This week's guest is Trey Williams, drummer for Dying Fetus. That's right, we're getting into some brutal death metal. And with me as always, Mr. Death Metal fan himself, Daniel Terry. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm glad you uh, glad you've seen the light. <laughs> I saw the I, I saw the light on uh, Phil Anselmo and the Illegals, and uh, now you're seeing the light on death metal. I mean, admittedly, uh, I'm not the biggest death metal fan. Something off record that, uh, at least not recorded anyway, that uh, I've told Dan and I think a lot of people who know me uh, personally would probably attest to. One of my biggest gripes, uh, if you haven't figured out from listening to over a year of this, or even if you go and listen to me on discography discussion, is I'm kind of a stickler for production and the production quality. And unfortunately, a lot of the early adapters to death metal had shitty production i'm gonna go ahead and say it it's almost like punk rock it's why i don't like punk rock music because it's like i know you know that's half of the aesthetic is the raw soundingness but uh you know what a little bit of production can go a long way i mean i agree with you for the most part i think a lot of it has to do with just uh i think sometimes recording techniques don't necessarily keep up with the times uh as far as how extreme music gets i mean it almost seems like one year, you know, you finally figured out how to mix and record a Slayer record to where it sounds really good. And then you've got Obituary over here doing this thing. And you're like, man, what do I got to do with this now? Like now it's now it's gotten too extreme. You know, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny because even in thinking back and I don't think I mentioned it on this chat, but, you know, everybody who kind of has put their hand on heavier music, you know, whether it be Ross Robinson or Terry Date or uh morris sound or even jason sukoff now or will putney or any of these other producers adam d for a little while there um you know everybody kind of becomes known for that one thing and i think that's a blessing and a curse because i think you know with death metal and obviously in the early 90s it was all about morris sound and you know for the time like you're saying like you know the thing i got to remember is in the early 90s you know that was kind of that weird shift between going from analog to digital and I'm sure a lot of the budget for a lot of death metal records was uh, pretty much nothing. And so you kind of had to make do with what you could. And I think in that regard, it I think it's just one of those things for me where the technical prowess and the songwriting capability just, I don't know. I guess by the time I started really getting into it, the production is what drove me away from it. And it's already kind of an ex a very extreme form of music. So it's it's... If you're getting into it, then you, you, you're already kind of halfway there. But, you know, for me, it's like when I can't discern sometimes different instruments because it's just a muddied-ass mix, it's like, well, fuck, man. <laughs> this, you know, I want it to be good. And I think, you know, in the last handful of years, really, especially since Jason Sukoff started kind of doing some stuff, I think he put that nice sheen on death metal that it's always deserved and you know bands like obituary and you know the, the last obituary record i really like it's probably one of the first obituary records i've liked straight out the gate um and when i heard the new dying fetus like you know i, I kind of dipped my toes into the last record they had put out before wrong one to fuck with and I, and I enjoyed it and so when wrong one to fuck with came out it was like all right fuck it like let's let's check this out and it's like damn it sounds really good there's there's emphasis on tight arrangements and it sounds really fucking good and to me it's like i know some staunch death metal fans like yourself may be like well it's not og true death metal because it doesn't sound like shit but it's like yeah but you know what it brings people like me into where i'm like man now i'm on board with you fucking dying fetus hell yeah yeah i mean i'm definitely not that bad as far as uh Oh, it sounds it sounds too good. It sounds too clean. Although you can catch me say stuff like that sometimes on discography discussion, uh, but it isn't necessarily what I'm saying. Like when I say stuff sounds too clean or 
sounds too produced or whatever. I'm talking about whenever the actual extremity of the music is compromised. What what they've what Dying Fetus has done on their newest record is incredible in that the production quality is top notch and the brutality is top notch. So like the two aren't mutually, you know, aren't that different from each other. They're not that separate. Whereas there are a lot of people out there that that'll say like, Oh, well, you know, they cleaned up the way the guitar sounds or whatever. Like, it's not like that. It's, it's actually just everything the dying fetus has to offer presented in the best sounding way possible. If that makes sense. No, totally. And it really kind of makes me want a remaster redone kind of like what they did with as the palace is burning for lamb of god where it's like it kind of again that's a great record where it's it sounds great because of how raw it is but when they did when josh wilbur went through the guy who's been doing most of their records recently and remastered it and kind of made it sound like the newer lamb of god when you listen to that remastered version now in conjunction to everything lamb of god's put out around this time the last 10 years it doesn't sound so weird because i think that's the thing about death metal to me is like if a band stays around long enough like and inevitably it just happens because that's the evolution of a band who who starts succeeding is you start off with a little bit of money because you're unproven, and then as you keep going, more money gets dumped into you because you're, you're, the ROI is coming through. And and for those who don't know, that's return on investment. Um, but it's one of it's just one of those things to me that I I think I think now is is to me one of the better times for death metal because or even black metal and shit like that where it's like you can start hearing everything because there's nothing more upsetting than when you get a record and it just it sounds muddled and and shit's not mixed well and then you maybe go see one of these bands live and you're like well what the fuck you sound so much better than you do on record (laughs) well i think for me a lot of the time it's just nostalgia like if i if i hear a record that sounds like that now Okay, if if I look at the if I look at the copyright date on the back of it and it says 2018, I'm throwing it in the garbage, you know. <laughs> but if it's uh, but you know if it's like 1997, or you know what I mean, like like that kind of that sweet spot between like 95 and 2005, you could get away with having bad sounding records. You couldn't. It's just that you could chalk it up to it just not that kind of music not being popular enough yet for them to get into a good studio. Like, it all makes total sense, but, like, now we live in an age where, you know, I could go to, you know, a buddy of mine's house and record great-sounding records anyway, like, where you can hear every instrument. Yeah, sure, it's not going to sound as good as the big leagues, but we're at that point now where there's almost not an excuse to have that bad a production quality unless you're doing it on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh... And interestingly enough, and it is tied to this conversation, uh, I did the chat with Greg from uh, Audiotopsy literally probably an hour. Minutes apart? Yeah, Yeah, about an hour (laughs) apart. And so that is now making blabbermouth and PRP, so thank you for the love for sharing my chat with Greg. Uh, The comments, pretty interesting. Oh, the comments are great. (laughs) I... uh, I I still got to say because someone uh, someone on YouTube uh, who has been messaging me back and forth on the YouTube of, of the episode uh, was just kind of going on, you know, about how and I think it's the common sentiment uh, between a lot of excuse me between a lot of uh, Mudvayne fans is that it's like, what the fuck are you guys waiting for? They just don't wanna, John. <sighs> I mean, honestly, like, well, so I mean, he didn't flat out say it, but like, that's basically what he said. I don't wanna. The thing that's funny to me is, and I almost called him out on this bullshit during the chat, but you know, he he references System of a Down. It's like at least System of a Down's still playing fucking shows. Like, I don't care if I don't have a record. At least I can go see that band. You guys have. It's been ten years and you haven't done anything. Right. Yeah. They can. Yeah. Because they can say whatever they want to say. Or he could say whatever he wants to say, but like those bands are not dumb enough to leave money on the table, which is exactly what they're doing. They're leaving money on the table. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I don't know. Like the dude on YouTube said, he's like, maybe, maybe this is a, a, a ploy, sort of. You know, like everyone's kind of waiting for the ten year anniversary of like the, you know, the full ten year hiatus and the ten year reunion and all that kind of stuff, and you know, we're just biding time until that happens. But I don't know, man. It doesn't seem like 
it seems like it's a pretty segregated unit at this point. I don't even think you can call it a unit. A segregated band, because, I mean, you got Chad doing his thing in Hell Yeah, Matt and Greg doing Audiotopsy and... Is um, Hell Yeah doing a thing anymore? Well, at Lauder, like... Lauder Than Life, they're doing... The spot that Hell Yeah was supposed to be playing, they are doing a Vinnie Paul tribute with some of the dudes from I guess, a lot of bands. And on top of that, I guess, from what I've read after Vinnie Paul's passing, uh, he finished all his drum tracks for the new next record. So there's at least one more Hell Yeah record in the can. Interesting. So beyond I mean, that, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't actually care, but yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I was just curious about the mud vein thing. Um, yeah, like what? It, like I don't know, man. I, I would in, like to hear in 2018. In spite of what you've said on your discography discussion episode of mud vein, 2018 or 2019 is Daniel Terry excited for a new mud vein record? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, they did they let me <laughs> down? Did they make me feel bad? Yeah, am I one of those? Uh, am I one of those guys that just you know always gets butt hurt when a band doesn't do the thing that I want them to do? Usually, so. usually, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm still down to hear it. I'm an equal opportunist, man. I, I, you know, everybody's got a chance to be great, and uh, it'd be great if Mudvayne gave themselves another chance to be great. <laughs> That's my new uh, presidential platform: make Mudvayne great again. MAGA. Still works. He got my vote. <laughs> and speaking of great things, let's get to my chat with Trey Williams, the dying fetus, and we will talk to you in the outro. So I have the pleasure of talking to Trey Williams, drummer of Dying Fetus, who are getting ready to embark on the Contamination Tour. How are you doing this early evening? I'm doing okay. I hope you're doing good, too. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, definitely got to say, your last album, uh, Wrong One to Fuck With, uh, really kind of caught me by surprise. I uh, Admittedly, I'm not super big on death metal. One of my biggest gripes has always been the lack of production, which I think is almost like a, a badge of honor most death metal bands kind of get into. But uh, I got to say, the last couple of records the band has put out most noticeably with uh, Wrong One to Fuck With, it just sounds so fucking crushing. And it's just some of the some really great songwriting to boot on top of that. So congratulations on writing arguably one of my be- uh, favorite records of last year. Well, really, that's cool. Thanks um, <laughs> for the such high praise on the album. We worked really hard on it, and uh, we're stoked that you you like it. Um, <laughs> our fans have seemed to have been enjoying it too, and um, you know it's great to hear that we won somebody over. So that's great. I like it. Well, it, I think uh, it definitely speaks to how well it was received. I mean, it charted at I think one eighty on the Billboard. Uh, charts and was like around in around the top 50 as far as like the actual rock metal charts as well so i mean so far into the band's career and you guys are having commercial success i mean does that surprise you so far into the band's career it's a pleasant surprise you know we've we've all put a lot of effort and uh put a lot of our lives into this thing and it's cool to see it kind of pan out a little bit so yeah, it is definitely neat, and but it has to do with sticking around and doing what we do and just do, try to develop what we do and make it more polished and better. How hard is that to do? I mean, I, knowing that you're not an original member, but I mean, you've put in 11 years at this point into the band. How hard is it to, to kind of do that for, for as long as the band has been around and as long as you've been in the band to just kind of constantly outdo yourselves record in and record out? Well, it's a necessity because if you don't, then you're going to just sound exactly like the same thing every time over. So you have to progress in some way and it gets boring playing the same old things over and over again. So it's cool to learn and add new things into the music that give it a new element or evolve it in some way and makes it fresher for us to just play. In a 
genre metal as a whole uh without even delving into the subgenres and categories of the the music scene itself but you know you kind of just were speaking to how you are trying to constantly evolve but i feel like metal metal people metal fans are quite the elitist when it comes to what they like and don't like so i mean is it been kind of interesting to to kind of grow within the band itself and potentially see people be like oh well dying feet is sold out now because they have insert whatever it is they think is selling out when you're in a a technical progressive death metal band uh i don't think we've ever felt like our fan base has thought we've sold out if anything we really try to um give our diehard fans, the people that like us for, you know, the kind of band we are, we try to give them what is going to satiate them, what's going to satisfy them, you know, and, you know, it's not like we're trying to write an album for the audience per se. We we're also writing it for ourselves. So we want to, we want to have it be interesting and, and, and captivating too, if we can. I was trying to go back and find some other interviews around the time of, of the last record coming out to see if this question had, had been answered or been asked and answered. Was there any pushback from the label? I mean, coming out with an album called Wrong One to Fuck With in 20, 2017, I mean, just seems kind of brash. There's, you know, a lot of censorship, like Andrew W.K.'s I Get Wet with the picture of his bloody nose had a was blacked out. Uh, and things like that. So to me, thinking about how even trivial things such as just that image gets censored, were you guys kind of, was there any pushback from the label? Like, ah, fuck, like, is there any other title you got maybe that we can put out? Or uh, were they just kind of like, yeah, fuck it, wrong one to fuck with, let's go with it? For the most part, they were pretty accepting of just about any idea we brought to them. Um, I wasn't, a part of any real conversation regarding the title. If there were conversations about content, it was the cover art. Okay. And, and to try not to make it seem too misogynistic. Really? Um, yeah. So if there was anything, it was that. Okay. But I mean, it wasn't like done in a way that was like, guys, you can't do what you want to do. It's just kind of like, Hey, and if anything, we had the final say. It wasn't like they were were saying you can't do that. It was just suggestions of like, hey, you know, it would kind of be nice if went a little more like that. And like we, <laughs> you know, I I wasn't too much a part of those conversations with the with the album art at a certain point. Okay. Um, uh, John really took a took the. the the reins on the, uh, the cover art at a certain point. And, uh, so he had more of those conversations. So, th- so I'm really just telling you what I heard from, you know, our discussions as a band. Well, I guess piggybacking off of that, when you finally got to see the, the final product of the, the album artwork, what were, what was your reaction to it? I was happy. I was happy. You know, I, I think as, as a whole, it's a, it's a really neat, piece of um uh you know media you know because it's got you know the image imagery going along with the with the uh with the music and the title definitely one of those that when you get it on vinyl there's there's kind of a nice smile you get on your face when you go to the record store and you're just like yeah i'm buying this (laughs) like (laughs) i don't feel like that exists anymore like you know i remember you know i'm gonna be 34 in a couple of weeks and i remember you know seeing the original like Appetite for Destruction album cover, and then obviously Ah. when it got changed to what it is now, the classic album cover. But to me, it's like there's something that's kind of cool if you're into to rock or metal or any of this kind of music, or even if you get into like the early hip hop stuff of the early '90s and so forth, where sometimes shit that's a little bit scary or whatever, like there's there's kind of I guess a weird sense of like pride, like, yeah, I, I'm listening to this and, and I, it's scary, but it's, it's fun and, and exciting. And I feel like there's just not really any of that happening really anymore. Like there's not really album covers that are kind of 
shocking to a, to a degree where people are just like, wow, I, I don't know what I'm getting with that. Or, or I guess in this sense, you kind of do know maybe what you're going to get, but it's even, I feel like if someone doesn't know what you're going to get with a dying fetus record name alone, then there's that. But it's just kind of like when you get it and someone's like, what's that sound like? And you're like, why don't you pick it up and find out? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I guess that kind of that era that where like the album art would would actually get you business yeah. is somewhat gone. Like I remember going to stores and taking the gamble on buying this tape because that album art is done by Dan Seagrave and he's freaking rad and all the bands he's done artwork are cool. And yeah, I'll, I'll check that out just cause I like it, you know, and that's kind of over a little bit nowadays. Cause you know, people don't really discover music in that way. But we still, you know, want to have something that looks cool front to back, you know, and have a a cohesive um, image to go along with the music. Do you feel like, you know, in speaking to albums and kind of growing up with, you know, appreciating the, the finer details of listening to an album, taking it all in, you know, I feel like it's kind of also lost, you know, when people would look at what labels things are coming out on or who's producing things. Do you kind of find that as well as being a fan of music that, you you know, that's something people aren't grasping on anymore is just the whole package of like, I'm going to take a gamble on this because Ross Robinson produced it or, oh, it's on, you know, Roadrunner Records. So I know it's probably really good. No, I think that stuff still has some pull, you know, because when you hear about, you know, that producer working with this new band and you hear about it on whatever media source you hear about a year before the album comes out, it gets you a little excited. You know, you're like, oh, cool. That guy's working with this guy. That's cool. So I know what I can expect that this album's going to be in this kind of way. So I guess, you know, it can kind of help still having those kinds of relationships. What's a uh, what's a producer that maybe most people wouldn't assume you you guys would want to work with that maybe would be someone that's kind of like a bucket list producer for you guys that you haven't worked with yet? Um, wow, uh, I've never actually put much thought into it. Uh, just me personally, Peter from Hypocrisy. Okay. Just a just a that would just be cool for me. Um. And then, uh, you know, take a time machine and go back to Morris Sound, right? Oh, yeah. At, that, at the heyday, you know, and get an album done there, you know. Go and watch, you know, all those other great bands record, you know. It was interesting. I, I was listening to uh, a fellow friend's podcast, the uh, Talk To Me podcast, and he had uh, Glenn Benton on, and he was talking about how they had just recorded their newest record, DSI, that is, with uh, Jason Sukoff. And how Jason Sukoff kind of has now sort of become the new Morris sound for kind of extreme metal bands. And I, I never really thought of that until that conversation that those two had had. And it is kind of interesting how one producer kind of can put a, a, his own stamp on, on that. I mean, like you just said, with Morris sound, you know, doing a lot of the records of the the late 80s, early 90s and so forth. And, and now I feel like Jason's kind of picking up right from where that kind of had left off. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the guys, I think what's his, his studio, Audio Hammer? Yeah, I think that's what um, it's called. Yeah. Um, you know, they're pretty prolific. I mean, there's not too many albums that can come out on Metal Blade that aren't produced through that studio. Um, so uh, that's, you know, a, a testament to the, the work that guy does. Um, and he does great work. You know, it's the proof's in the pudding. <laughs> you can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, you know, I kind of wanted to speak a little bit about the band's legacy and what's interesting to me, and you know, and it's kind of hard not to put the, the 2018 revisionist history kind of on things, but you know, with a band like Dying Fetus, like in name, and I know a lot of band names get done somewhat hastily. Like, I mean, there's the whole dying bands from like the, the metal core scene of the two thousands, you know, your Asley Dyings, it dies today, so on and so forth. And, you know, I've read throughout the years of being a casual fan of Dying Fetus, that, you know, it was a band name that just kind of came when everyone was young and didn't think much of it. 
but looking back, like, are are even you surprised being in the band that the band has had a career that sustained as long as it has with having a name, you know, kind of as polarizing as it is? Uh, yeah, it's cool to be where I am. I mean, they were the biggest metal band in my area when I was learning how to play. So it's cool to be a part of it now. Um, so, and then the name in general, I think is an asset more than it is a hindrance. Okay. But there are, there are times when, you know, it, it's, it's not necessarily hurt us, but it's taken opportunities and just made them not happen. But at the same time, when I say that it's, you know, it, it, it's helped us more because it is such a noticeable name. And at a certain point we went away from, you know, the, the squiggly line logo and went to the block letter mm-hmm. and really hammered it home into people's faces. You know, <laughs> this is, this is the name of this band and we're going to make you read it. <laughs> you know, it's not a struggle to read. Right. <laughs> you know, I think, I, I think, I think that that kind of helped solidify the that in people's consciousness of like this is an extreme metal band and you know the band has history too before me that that is carried on and and adds to that clout to the name if there is such a clout to have be had right with that kind of name but overall it's been I think a help and not quite a hindrance you know, something else, too, I, I did an interview a couple about a month and a half ago or so now with uh, Blothar from Guar, but I actually talked to him as Michael, the person, not the character, and something we were talking about was just this overly PC world we live in. At the time, the, the pussy melter pedal that Steel Panther was having petitioned against was the big rage uh, or outrage of the day. Um and so I had asked Michael if he envisioned a, a time coming up where the band might have to, to go away just because of the world we live in, not because that the band isn't good or that people aren't coming, but just because it becomes hard to, to continue on because of such extreme politically correctness that we're living in. And so I, I kind of have wondered, you know, is that something you guys talk about uh, at all and, and or are wondering, like, how how long can we actually do this given the actual political climate we live in or politically correct this climate that we live in? I mean, unless there's some sort of like insane censorship that's going to happen, uh, then we're going to be just fine, dude. Fair enough. It was going to be fine. It was kind of interesting. You know, we're going to be, we're going to be okay, you know, because we roll with the punches. We go and we, cater our lyrics nowadays to like what's happening in the world around us. And, and to be honest, people are craving stuff that's just kind of in your face and not like, uh, why do I have to dance around like this, the subject, you know, when we could just say what, what's really bothering us, you know, it's like, uh, and I think that we're also getting clouded with a lot of stuff that that's inconsequential to what, what really matters in life. So, no, I, whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was it was kind of funny though because when when talking with him, he was I was surprised to hear because I figured that would be more or less the same sentiment because Guar kind of always has been a band that sort of pokes fun at what's happening currently in our political climate and so forth. And so to to hear Michael kind of be like, yeah, I think there's going to be a day where we have to kind of call it quits because of of something sort of you know because of that. It, it kind of has made me reevaluate, I guess, the rest of the, the musical scene in the extreme metals, metal side of things. Because, I mean, if they're a band who's been doing their thing and are kind of do it in the way that they've done it for so long, unapologetically, it's like if you're in this band and even you're saying that, like, yeah, I think we might have to kind of change some things or we might be, you know, think outside sources are probably going to affect us. It's like, wow, I... I never really thought I would hear him say that. So it just kind of made me reevaluate everything, you know, in, in the extreme metal that I listen to. And, and like you said, the, the interesting thing to me is I think a lot of people would assume, you know, a band of your ilk are probably going to have more murder and death and gory lyrics. But it's kind of interesting. And I think a lot of people would be surprised to kind of see 
the more political things that you guys are tackling lyrically uh, to go against your, your music? Um, you know, the gore and all that, like, you know, that's something that was the lyrical content early on in the band, you know, um, that was the, the young band, younger version of this band. And as you get older, you, you realize you just don't want to sing about (laughs) decomposing (laughs) bodies and, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong. There's, there's a, there's a place for that. You know, I've definitely, you know, just came back from a tour in Europe and at some of the festivals, there are bands that do just fine in, in the scene uh, occupying that, 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 uh, that space and more power to them. You know, it's just not what we, we, we do. And we, we try to vary it up with political and then social themes, you know, keeps your stuff real. Right. You know, as much as you can, you know, it's, it's fun to go, um, exploring, you know, ideas and stuff like that too. And, cutting loose with lyrics about things that you could never do in reality, you know? Totally. But I, I don't, I don't really write the lyrics. So like, I can't really comment too much on the motivations and how the machinations of creating them. Right. No, I, uh, you know, in, in kind of prepping for this, something I was kind of thinking of and looking at just kind of the, I mean, it's kind of interesting too. When you, when you think about extreme music, I guess it's, it's all, relative to the person because someone who listens to you know grindcore all the time like it's their everyday thing so it it doesn't seem as extreme to someone who doesn't listen to it so in kind of thinking about perspective on heavier music as a whole it's been interesting to me to see a band like you know a code orange or gojira who at various points in their careers were were underground bands and and considered extreme uh, for what they do but, I mean, those bands have kind of gotten a lot of mainstream, quote-unquote, mainstream success. And, you know, I kind of was wondering, you know, with you being in one of the, the bands that's kind of been at the forefront of the scene for so long, are you kind of surprised by some of this attention that some of these bands get? And does it sh- end up shining a light back onto you guys? I think it's awesome. The, the more that, that the the American... The, the American general public can appreciate uh, heavy music. I think it's better for all of us in the heavy music scene, but I think it, it, it will get weird when it starts to become too marketed to the metal audience. When, when the, when I think that one reason why at least us in the underground and, and like the death metal underground per se uh, do we do well here is because this is a place for people that don't like normal music. You know, they, they, they like growling vocals and distorted guitars and blast beats. And like, there has to be some place for them, you know, and, and I'm not saying what bands that are getting big are doing is diluting it, but they basically take a diluted version of the extreme world and make it more palatable for everybody else. So it just, it, I'm, I kind of like, I love it that these elements are being brought to the general public and hopefully it's done in a way that makes them feel better about it. Then we could have an audience that's more like the European audience where, you know, we could have the metal festivals, the outdoor festivals, and it would work, you right. know, year after year, as opposed to, you know, well, we can have Ozfest or something that is amounts to that format for x amount of years and then we have to have the next one you know and you know i i I kind of am rambling on to like a bunch of different subjects here so i'm just gonna like stop now sorry about that (laughs) that's fine (laughs) i'm just i don't know i just i just i like it when the stuff gets out there a little bit more and more people can enjoy it yeah speaking kind of uh you know to the the effect of uh kind of some of the like having you know the band's legacy and and kind of still maintaining uh recent success with your newer album you know you got this upcoming tour the contamination tour with incantation you know another og death metal band but you also have a band like gate creeper who's been making the the name their name for themselves the last you know i've really 
they kind of came on my radar about a year ago. Like a lot of people were like this band, like they open, you know, they're usually the first of four, you know, the, you know, in this case, I think they're the second of four on the package. So, I mean, they're still a, a relatively up and coming band, but a lot of people are starting to take notice of them in the scene, which has got me excited about this tour because it's like, you got a band like you guys who are, you know, still putting out, you know, arguably some of the best music of your careers. Currently you got incantation. Who's, you know, another OG band that are going to bring out a lot of longtime fans of the death metal scene, but you're introducing potentially though that those older fans to a band like gate creeper and vice versa. Like some of their fans maybe haven't seen or heard of, you know, you guys live and, and maybe I think it's just a great cross promotional vehicle for death metal fans, new and old. And, you know, I just kind of was wondering, you know, how important is it to you to, to maintain a tour like this where you're honoring legacy bands while still bringing up and coming bands out with you? Well, you got to give the kids a place to, to play, man. You know, you got to make some room on the stage for the young bucks. You know, they're coming up no matter what, you know, they're going to, they're going to come up, they're going to do their thing. And it would, it's better to have them along with us for our ride. And maybe we can help them out, introduce them to new fans, introduce our fans to them, their fan, their young fans to our old butts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think it's great that, you know, that there's still a passion with young people to play extreme music and, what they're doing is they're doing like it, it's more of a retro sound. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of, of that, you know, second generation of death metal, you know, kind of coming through. And I, I think it's really cool what uh, these younger bands that we have on the package are doing and, you know, incantation, you know, they're great. You know, Onward to Golgotha is one of my uh, very favorite album of mine. So, you know, I, I definitely appreciate having them on the package, too. You know, they've been doing it a long time, too. And it's good to see them come and take the direct support role for us. And, you know, hopefully all these shows are great. So far, from what I heard, everything should be great. You know, something you guys are doing for this tour, and I can't honestly think as a as a vinyl collector or as a person who goes to a lot of shows i can't really i don't think i've ever really seen a band or many bands do a split for a tour like you know there's there's sometimes like the seven inches bands will do just you know with somebody else but doing a tour split i i, I don't think i've ever really seen that so where did that idea come from um i believe that came from from relapse Okay. I'm not exactly sure uh, who who came up with that idea, but I mean it makes sense. No, it all totally the bands does. are on relapse. All the bands are on relapse. You know, I remember in the past. I think this is really something that is a holdover from when the tour happened originally. Is I remember I would get in in like Hit Magazine or SOD um, Magazine uh, that there would be like a little compilation cd and a bunch of the times it was the contamination tour you know so that definitely learned about some bands with that so i think it's pretty cool man especially for the vinyl collectors out there you know that it's definitely a a fun thing for them to grab yeah i uh i think one of the last times i remember something like that happening it was for me going to see deftones it was supposed to be deftones poison the well we're touring but at the outside the show like people were handing out these these promotional cds that had you know artwork by Derek hess on them you know it just seems like such an easy idea to be like oh here's like this extra thing to get you excited about either the show you, like a, a memento of the show you just saw or get you excited about a show that's upcoming hopefully there will be some at the show i'm coming to so i can actually pick one up well hopefully there are also I can tell you what, they're sitting right in my foyer at the front of the house. So I got a big <laughs> stack of vinyls and CDs with contamination written all over them. So awesome. I think we got one for you, but I hope we got one for you by the time we, you come around. Well, the nice thing is, is you guys are playing two days after my birthday uh, in Grand Rapids. So, And I think that's only the 1920. You're only like three days after the tour starts. I don't Unless you only have like 75, I think I'll be good. <laughs> You're going to be fine, buddy. We got you. Awesome. Um, you know, I didn't know if necessarily this was a, a, a 
topic of uh, conversation, but I feel like I'd be remiss given, uh, you know, just the day that it, that we are talking, which is nine eleven, the anniversary of uh, you know, the nine eleven bombings that happened. You know, I was kind of wondering if you remembered where you were the day the, of the attacks and what and what was going on. Uh, yeah, I was at my parents' house. Um, I was still, I had moved back there for a, a little while before I moved back out again. And mom wakes me up and goes, yo, you got to see what's happening on TV. And yeah, that's where I was. So, um, and then the guys actually were on tour in Europe. If I remember correctly, the, the, that current lineup of dying fetus was on tour in Europe at the time. So uh if if i'm if my facts are correct it's just a very i mean it's one of those like you know i remember when it happened you know i was a senior in high school when it was happening and uh we were literally watching lord of the flies uh in my sociology class and then our teacher came back in and was like you got to see this some idiot drove in drove his plane into this building and then when he turned it on like then we saw the other one happen and it was like oh shit like some like even if you didn't know you're like something's up like that's not I don't think that's an accident that it happened like twice and I kind of wondered too you know looking back yourself if you kind of had received any of that kind of backlash like for you know being into extreme music as well around that time frame uh, around 2001 yeah uh no nah. no man I was I was living it <laughs> I, I, I didn't give a crap man and if somebody did have a problem i i didn't associate with them so you know it's uh yeah no i was i mean dude that's the most uh important event in all of our lives for the last ever since it happened what other event has happened that's had such a change in literally everybody else's life around you and everyone you know in the whole world, really, for that matter. 9-11 changed everything. Yeah. The world was different after that. So, you know, it's a pretty important event. And it's like, you know, I've just been kind of thinking about how I was like, man, there's been a lot of, like, shit that's gone on in, like, my lifetime where I feel like it's like, you know, I remember where I was when blank happened or 9-11 or, you know, some of these other things that, I don't know. It's kind of weird when you think of national tragedies like that, of how you can just place yourself back immediately where you were. Although I can do the same thing with music. I can tell you where I was when I heard, you know, a certain record for the first time. But, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird as you get older when you think about these kind of things. A absolutely. The, you know, uh, especially when it's something that's shared by so many people. So you can go and you can say, where were you when... You know, hey, our our parents did that with Kennedy. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and we all we have different mile. Everybody's got different milestones in your life. That's just got to getting older. <laughs> Please make that stop. <laughs> I when you can figure it out. I mean, I was. It's funny. I was looking at uh, some of the photos uh, when I was looking at across the socials just to make sure I had all the uh, the tour dates right and so forth when I plug those, but. Uh, it was one of those. I was like, you know, for a band that's been around as long as you guys have, I, collectively, you all look pretty young still. So I, I guess maybe the uh, listening to extreme music and so forth is probably the fountain of youth is all I've kind of gathered. Uh, I, you know, it's been pretty good to us, so I can't really <laughs> complain. So uh, kind of in wrapping up, uh, the Contamination Tour starts off uh, September 19th and Flint at the Machine Shop. Uh, again, has Incantation, Dying Fetus, Gate Creeper, and Genocide Pact. Uh, they are playing here in Grand Rapids, Michigan at Elevation. So you guys will be one of the fewer bands that's played the newer venue here in town. And cool. uh, ends October 29th in London, Ontario at the London Music Hall. Uh, so if they are coming around, make sure to go check them out and support them. All great bands. And uh, speaking of following you guys, where can people find uh, the band and or yourself on this various socials? You can find us on Facebook at Facebook forward slash Dying Fetus. We have an Instagram. You can find us through there. We have Twitter. We have all the same stuff everybody else has got. You know, We ain't got anything crazy special, but you can find everything you want at our Facebook page, man. And uh, you yourself, would you like anyone, are there socials you'd like people to follow you at? 
follow me through the dying fetus social pages, man. Um, that's, that's where you can find me. And then, uh, last question. I always like to end these episodes out with a song. It doesn't necessarily have to be one of your own, but, uh, maybe, uh, what you're jamming lately and maybe a little backstory as to, uh, why you've been jamming it. A uh, howl at the moon by Fantagram. Cause I like the girl's voice and it's nice. All right. Well, again, Trey, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me this evening and uh, looking forward to catching your set in a couple of weeks uh, here in Grand Rapids. Thank you so much for your time and hope you have a great day, man. Yeah, you as well. All right. There it is. And there it was, my chat with Trey Williams, the dying fetus. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Dan, sadly you couldn't be there again, but you got to listen to this conversation. What did you think of that? Yeah, I mean, it was a good conversation. Would have been a lot better if I had been on it. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, it was really good. And uh, he had a lot of really cool stuff to say. I mean, like a lot of stuff that I personally identified with, like, um, you know, basically a lot of the bands out there, um, and he backpedaled on this a little bit, but uh, a lot of the bands out there, you know, play like a lesser style of extreme music, and it seems like those are the bands that get more popular. And I like what he said, though. He's like, people that like death metal, they like growled vocals they like blast beats you know like that's 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 the demographic and it always just seems like you know nobody's willing to just accept the super extreme bands right out of the gate right you almost have to have some kind of lesser version of it to introduce you to those elements slowly and gently well i think you know jamie josta talks about this and is a strong proponent of of why certain bands need to be put in front of fans of metal you know that's why a band like you know he always says like well you know we were on five figure death punch and and you know they're a heavy band to some people but you know you put hate breed on there and maybe i'm wearing a crowbar shirt or i talk about you know maybe i'm wearing a black dahlia shirt and then people become fans of mine my band and then see the bands that we're touring with and then we introduce them to these other things like it's all about kind of those those what do they call them uh not tastemakers uh Gateway bands, you know, basically, you know, Five Finger Death Punch could be a gateway band for a lot of people to be introduced to a heavier style of music than what they play. And, you know, I think for a lot of shit that they get, Five Finger Death Punch, that is, I still think they do a lot of a lot of good. And I think the interesting thing, too, about them is they're kind of unafraid to take bands that are going to make them look, by comparison, a lot less heavy. But yeah. They, they don't care because they know they their fans are their fans. And, you know, if you like, like, you know, if Five Finger Death Punch wants to take out a fucking incantation or a fucking deicide or whatever, you know, maybe they're not going to. But I don't think that band has anything to lose by doing something like that. And I think that's pretty commendable. I mean, I just basically saw the same thing on that Fallout Boy tour where basically Fallout Boy is at a level where they got they're at the, the fuck you level where it's like we can take out whoever the fuck we want and we're going to sell out an arena. And so the fact that they're taking out bands that are friends of theirs, like an every time I die or gym class heroes or, you know, any machine gun Kelly or any of these people, it's like, that's, that's when it's really, I think fun to be in a band because you get to call your own shots because you've already fucking, you're so massive. No one can tell you no. Right. Yeah. Cause the money's going to talk. Just let the money do all the talking on that. People are going to show up. You're going to sell all the tickets in a stadium. So nobody really cares, you know, like no, nobody really cares if the bands don't necessarily quote unquote fit together, you know? And, uh, no, like, and I, I, I agree with what you said about gateway bands. The gateway bands are just like totally necessary. Like a band like five finger death punch might not like to a guy like me, they seem like the lowest form of heavy metal. You know what I mean? Like, sure. But at the same time, if I'm trying to introduce my buddy to, you know, heavy music, I'm not going to show him a Napalm Death record first. You know, I'm going to show him, you know, probably Five Finger Death Punch. Let's get to the idea. Let's get used to the idea of the guy screaming a whole lot instead of singing. Right. But he does still sing. So, you know, we're, we're really gently easing you into this, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of interesting, too, in the fact that when... <laughs> It's it. I just kind of wish sometimes like all the chats that I am sitting on were all out at once. Like I could just release them all at once, like a, a Netflix style. Maybe that maybe Blast goes on to something there too by just dropping seasons so you can binge listen to everything. Because then that right. way, over the course of like the ten episodes he's got for his uh, 
uh, a new level podcast, it's one of those things where when he cross references something from another chat he did previously or setting up, like oh, I talked to somebody and it's out of out of turn. It's all referential at that point, and you 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 get to hear it all pretty quickly. Whereas here, it's like okay, so I talked to Greg, and then an hour later I talked to Trey, and then a day later I talked to Damon from A Virtue, then a day later I talked to Jaden from Siler, and it's like there's commonalities between all these conversations about you know heavy music and how we all got into heavy music and just the the dynamics within it all but the fact that we're going from someone who is in you know a new metal band to someone who is in a death metal band to someone who is in a melodic hardcore band to someone who's now went from like a deathcore kind of band to now being like a Linkin Park kind of new metal like POD ish kind of thing yeah. it's it's one of those where it's like none of those should seemingly go together but there's a common thread between every conversation I've had about just being, and I said this last week too, or in the Greg episode, just being unapologetically yourself. And I think that that is the thing I think that is the the draw for people who like heavy, aggressive music is it. It's the thing that brings you in because it's, it's it's the it. I don't know. It's like that kind of outsider thing, like where it's like, well, everyone's doing this thing, so I'm gonna go do my own fucking thing, and and that's kind of what brings everyone in. I guess there's just different levels to to that. I guess you know from being five finger death punch to, you know whomever. But well, I think that it's hard too with the gateway bands because it's really hard for somebody like me to take somebody seriously when they're like, dude, I'm really into this really aggressive stuff. Oh yeah, what do you like? Five finger death punch, and you're just like, oh okay. Um, at least that's what I'm like. I don't I don't launch into the tirade that I would have when I was a high schooler, you know. Um, but you know. It's definitely kind of a, a weird birthing process because even though I'm a metal elitist or whatever, that's what people say I am. Um, I can still like kind of see it for what it is. Like, yeah, oh, I'm really into Five Finger Death Punch. Oh, you suck. Well, what are you into? I'm really into Napalm Death. Oh, really? Do you just do you only? And then another guy's like, do you only like mainstream grindcore? And then you know, another guy's all <laughs> what like, an asshole. No, mainstream what are you talking grindcore. about? Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, well I I'm really into stuff like Pig Destroyer. Oh really, Pig Destroyer, that metalcore band that calls themselves grindcore. You, you like you can you can find anything. Yeah. And eventually, it just kind of turns into just more of a metal dick measuring contest when it's a whole bunch of morons talking about something that they're not even actually actively involved in. Speaking so, of that, I also did you see that we've been getting a second bite at the uh, the All That Remains apple there? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. They, yeah, because they did the new song, and they're like, "Oh, by the way, uh, on John's Untitled podcast, Phil said that the whole album was done." <laughs> like, I was kind of shocked. Someone texted me. They're like, "Uh, there is this an old interview? Like, did you know that the song was out?" And I was like, "No, this is like this just came out like today." And they're like, "Oh, yeah, this is cutting edge." And yeah. they're like, "Oh." Well, they're referencing your chat, and I was like, I mean, I, I guess it did just happen like a couple of weeks ago, but I, who knew? I, the, it's almost like the uh, when we did Asley Dying on discography discussion, we were about a week and a half, two weeks on the precipice of something happening. We just had no clue, and then all of a sudden, it's like two weeks later, we look like we we fucking knew something, and we were geniuses. Yeah, well, we predicted it. Yeah, it was so funny. People are like, because I had had people ask me, like, do you have some kind of insider information on that or whatever? And I was like, <laughs> it is just literally, I am such a lazy procrastinator that I waited a certain amount of time before doing an Azalea Dying episode. And it just literally just happened to be a week or so prior to all of this happening. <laughs> One of the biggest coincidences in my life. You remember how I told you today as a result of a... Uh... Uh, let the cat out of the bag. Someone, uh, a member of Saliva, or a former member of Saliva, reached out to the podcast uh, to to try to come on uh, soon. Yeah, yeah. And so the irony was is that uh, you know on the Patreon episode of our, our active radio rock uh, episode we did, we both picked a Saliva song, and I neither Dan nor I actively talk about Saliva a whole lot other than that one episode and those two instances. But yeah. I made the comment to Dan, my life is full of weird occurrences like that where I haven't talked about Saliva before that conversation we had, and I haven't talked about them since. But that only happened yeah. 
maybe a month ago. And then here's someone yeah. going like, oh, I'm, I used to be in saliva and I'd like to be on your podcast. And it's like, holy shit. And then the Asley Dying thing, it's like, hey, Dan's like, oh, pick a band. I'm like, fuck it. Let's do Asley Dying. Like, out of the blue. Like, I I probably said four other bands before I landed on that one. Yeah, and I was just like, mm, okay. Yeah. Like, it didn't really have any, you know, there wasn't any issue. And then we talked about it. Then a week later, that happened. And then, you know, I talked with Phil. I asked him about, you know, is there any new music? Like, it just felt like it's songwriting time for a new record. And then he's like, oh, it's done. And then here we are. Here we are a week and a half, two weeks later, and here's the new song already. Like it's like, well fuck man, like my life is full of a lot of occurrences like that where it's just like I seemingly am just like right something happens and then like a couple like, very soon afterward it's like this strange occurrence that's tied to this thing that I was just talking about happens. Um but yeah, I was pleasantly surprised to see again Blabbermouth and PRP and a few others uh, re reshare uh, the chat I did with Phil. And, uh, yeah, and then the Greg episode today, it's been a pretty good week for the podcast. Yeah, it's been good. And now I know who I need to take uh, to the casino with me anytime I go. Uh, you got to don't tell me you're going to go to a casino. Maybe I'll have premonitions of winning money randomly. Right. Yeah, that might be kind of weird. And then, you know, we'll be there to be hours and I'll just be like, dude, come on. Just keep just keep playing. Keep playing. I put my mortgage up. Just keep playing. Yeah, just keep playing. It's fine. <laughs> You're playing with it's house all money, gonna, literally. It's all going to come out in the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, yeah, it's just been a, a really great uh, week for the podcast. been really uh, excited for, you know, seemingly since Dan's been com- coming on, uh, I feel like, you know, we've just been kind of hitting a, a nice stride of consistently good material, good content. Um, actually when I uploaded the Greg episode, I uploaded the wrong version of it and just put the actual conversation with none of the intros, none of the editing, no, nothing, just the raw audio, which is how Dan hears the interviews, by the way. And a friend of mine, Alfonso, who was just on Dan's, uh, discography discussion on Glassjaw, um, he texted me, he's like, where's Dan? (laughs) And I was like, what? He's fired. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so I went back, I went back and listened and I was like, oh fuck. And then literally went home. And uh, uploaded the right episode as it was done. Um, but, yeah, no, I just wanted to kind of take a moment and uh, say it's been a, you know, between, you know, Dan coming on. I, I've been enjoying doing the podcast a little more. I was suffering a little bit of fatigue and burnout on my end. And uh, Dan's made these a lot of fun, especially when we can do the chats in person and uh, get to do them with, with the people together. Um, I think those are a lot of fun. I've been hearing a lot of positive feedback. I don't know if you have it, Dan, but um, – no, everybody just sends me hate mail. It's fine. It's a it's a deflection. Ah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, lots of positive feedback for sure. It's it's been a lot of fun on my end too, getting to do something a little bit different, you know. Um, then because I was getting to burnout too on my other podcast where it's like listen to a band talk about it, listen to a band talk about it, listen to a band talk about it, you know. So now it, it's it's a little bit more interesting, and in that my experience with certain bands gets to be a bit more interactive. Yeah. I think that's the fun thing about doing this, and I think, uh, you know, I'll tease a little bit, because I think it's fun kind of teasing guests that are coming up, and I can at least tease these two, because I know for sure they're going to happen. But, you know, we have, like I said, I have Jaden from Siler, that'll be the next episode we post. Um, We have Damon from the Band of Virtue, they're a local Lansing band, but uh, I think you're going to be hearing a lot about this band in the next, uh, probably in the next year. And we have Toby Morell from Emory coming on to discuss their new record. Yay! And we have the returning Mr. Porter McKnight from Atreyu to come on and talk about Atreyu and their new record coming out soon. And, uh, yeah. And uh, there's a couple of other guests, too, that we have that are basically waiting for a few more things to fall into place before they come on and and discuss uh, past-present things uh, with the band. But, uh... It's been almost by the time that happens, I think it'll have been a full year since I reached out to to get them on the podcast and uh, louder than life. I got a lot of no. These people aren't doing interview (laughs) emails. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shout out to Allison Chain's uh, publicist for sending it in record time in two minutes after I sent the initial email. Also, that had to be a generic form letter. Oh, I don't know. It had my name in there and all that stuff. Uh, And I'd also like to shout out. Asking Alexandria's publicist for uh, for calling me Joe in an email where in the first four four words it says, "Hi, my name is John." 
It's even more confusing when I email people. Hi, I'm Dan uh, with Johnson's Hell Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but at least that's like an actual mistake that somebody could make. I wouldn't be upset if somebody did that, you know. Well, then I or even, was weirded out by I even looked at the key- keyboard and I had to think about the QWERTY keyboard system and be like, is the N even near the E? I don't think so. And then I looked, I was like, no, no, it's not. So you just kind of looked at the J-O and were like, oh, jo- Joe, I got it. Yeah, Joe. I'm Joe yeah, on Joe behalf would... of John's Beyond podcast. <laughs> I can make that happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's definitely been a lot of fun. And uh, I can't wait to see what kind of coverage you have. I'm sure you're going to be sending me photos pretty much the entire event. So I mean, it's going to be, be ready for those. Thing, probably. But Speaking of socials, though, if you would like to keep up with Dying Fetus, they are getting ready to go out on the Contamination Tour. Uh, it'll be them, Incantation, Gate Creeper, and Genocide packed and uh, the tour starts september 19th the day before my birthday here in michigan at the machine shop in flint and ends october 29th in london ontario and if you would like to keep up with dying fetus you can follow them as you heard trey say yeah just dying fetus crossed all the socials uh, I doubt anyone has those names <laughs> and uh, if you would like to keep up with daniel terry where can they find you you can find me at discuss middle dan on twitter you can find me on Facebook under Daniel Derry. You can find my other podcast discography discussion at discussmetal.com. Or you can even send me an email at discussmetaldan at gmail.com. So honestly, if you can't figure out how to get a hold of me, it's your fault. That's true. And if you would like to keep up with all things the podcast, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Johnson's Idol Podcast. Uh, really enjoying all the people who have been finding the podcast on YouTube, leaving comments, uh, subscribing. That's a great thing. Dane will tell you about that in just a second. And if you would like to tweet at us, you can find us on Twitter at Johnson's Idol Pod and email us at Johnson's Idol Pod at gmail.com. And real quickly, Dan is going to remind you why rating, reviewing, and subscribing is the thing to do. Well, yeah, we live in a complex world that's unfortunately now has to be run by algorithms uh, because there's too many people, there's too many listeners, but that's good for business as far as we're concerned. But the only way we can really get ahead in uh, getting reviews and getting recommended to other people like yourself that may not already know about this podcast, we really need people to rate, review, and subscribe. Highly rated podcasts do a lot better. They come up in search results quicker. And uh, you never can tell. Every now and again, you might end up getting featured on the uh, the new and trending on Apple Podcasts, which is something that all podcasts really would like. So just uh, if we're a podcast that you love, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us out. And lastly, we are going to end the episode as we always do with a song. And as you heard Trey pick, he wanted us to play it out to Howl at the Moon by Fantagram. So we're going to do that, and we will be back next time with Jaden from Siler.